Welcome to the Tennis with an Accent Bite Size Podcast. This is your host, Matt Zemek. Uh, and uh, say a prayer for Saqib Ali. He's not feeling well. We hope he gets better. Uh, but anyway, we're here to talk about quite a lot. Um, the women's final is set. Uh, one of the men's finalists is set. So the Australian Open is uh, down to crunch time. And to help us make sense of it all, once again, our in-house analyst, Mert Ertunga. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Mertovs, the letter T, desk, Mertovs, T, desk. He has his own site, MertovsTennisDesk.com, where he blogs. He also podcasts a lot. You can just follow his Twitter feed to get all the podcast links, everything that he's doing. And uh, before we talk about anything, we want to remind you, if you missed it on Twitter, Mert in his pre-Australian Open predictions. We published all of our staff predictions at Tennis with an Accent. He got all four women's semifinalists correct. He had Jennifer Brady and Carolina Mukova in the top half semifinal. So uh, Mert needs to take a bow. That's one of the best tennis predictions you're going to find all year long. So Mert Ertunga, master predictor. Welcome back to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Matt, champagne on the way for that introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. So you have your finger on the pulse of women's tennis. I mean, you have your finger on the pulse of tennis in general, but I like your your sixth sense for which players were going to do well at this tournament uh, has really shined through. So with that in mind, let's talk about the women's semifinalists and, and the women's semifinal matches that occurred uh, last night as we record this podcast. We got to start with the blockbuster. Naomi Osaka rising to the challenge once again versus Serena Williams. What were your over overall impressions of that match? Um, I thought uh, it was a match uh, that was decided by one distinct factor, although there's never one thing that determines the match. Of course, it's a combination of things. But I think the most important factor, Matt, was that Serena did not play like herself in balls that, in balls that landed to the middle of the court where she can just set, get her feet set and take advantage and take charge of the point. You know, the, b- both Osaka and, uh, and Williams, and as well as several other players on the top of the WTA rankings, that's the kind of shot that they look for. You know, when there's a ball that comes to the middle of the court, I'm not talking about here balls that land deep and force them to back up as they're hitting from the middle of the court. Those are nightmares for most player, players. I'm talking about balls that where they have time to get their feet set and either hit a winner or take charge of the rally from that point forward or force the opponent into a mistake. And, um, and what I did is uh, I was curious about that because I noticed that uh, while Osaka was hitting winners off of those or forcing Serena into mistakes or di- starting to dictate the rallies from that point forward, Serena, for her part, either made errors or simply didn't go for enough. She played a neutral shot just to put the ball back in play and she made mistakes, she she was making mistakes. So I went and did a rewatch and I just focused on those shots, Matt. And some staggering numbers showed up. And uh, so let me just kind of give you a breakdown of what I'm talking about. There's There's the winning shot, you know, when you hit a winner from that position in the middle of the court whether you're inside the baseline or on the baseline, you're set, your feet are set and you hit a comfortable shot, go for the winner. Uh, You either hit a winner or you hit a good enough shot to to force your opponent into an error or you hit a neutral shot and put the ball back in play 
or you make a straight error. There are four different things that can happen. So let me give you a quick rundown of the numbers and I'll try to go slow. Category one, where they hit winners off of that shot. Osaka hit 10 winners uh, when she got her feet set and got a ball in the middle of the court. On the baseline, a little bit behind the baseline or inside the baseline. Serena only hit four of those, none in the first set. All four of them came in the second set. Category two, shot that you hit where you force your opponent into a mistake. Osaka hit three of those that forced Serena into a mistake. Serena hit none, zero. Category three, neutral shot where you just put the ball back in play when you could have taken advantage, but instead you put the ball back in play. Osaka hit three of those only. Serena hit eight of those. Category four, where you make a straight error. Osaka hit four errors off of those shots. Serena hit seven. So let me, let me, let me uh, recap all this and, and give you this. Osaka had 20 chances total where she could have hit winners from the middle of the court, her feet set, and she's got a ball on, on which she can hit winners. And it's within her natural game plan. Osaka likes to go for it, take charge, hit winners whenever she gets her feet set. She had 20 of those. She took advantage of 13 of them, okay? And she made mistakes on four of them. Serena had 18 of those. Only on 10 of those, she did something that, that I'm sorry, only on nine of those, half. She did something that fits her natural game style. And she only hit four winners. She only won four out of 18 shots that she had in the middle of the court. Okay. So now Matt, again, Osaka 13 out of 20, Serena four out of 18. Matt, do you remember the first point of the second set? The very first point, Serena hit a winner. Okay. On that first shot. And she yelled to herself, make a shot. Do you remember that moment? She, she, she screamed to Absolutely. herself, make a shot. Well, that is what she's talking about. She's, she's, that was the first shot that she made. That was the first winning shot she made from the middle of the court, from a comfortable position. That is very un-Serena-like, not, not, not to hit a winner or win a point from a shot from the middle of the court. It took her a whole, a whole set went by before she could hit one. That was that frustration coming out of Serena right there. Again, in the 1-3 game, on game point, she hit her second winner. And once again, if you remember, she held her hands up in the sky. She looked up and she yelled at herself again. Okay. And let me give you her quote after the match. And I quote Serena here. Just made too many mistakes there. Easy mistakes. Not like I was on the run or anything. There were just easy, easy mistakes. That's a player with high IQ who made a cogent evaluation of what happened to her. She's 100% correct. Okay, so when we try to process what happened, you know, was there anything Osaka did down 0-2 in the, in the first set, which might have made Serena think a little too much and not be in the moment that kind of got Serena out of uh, uh, a, a, a kind of a balanced state, which might have you know altered the the competitive uh, nature of play in the in that first set. 
Well, uh, first of all, you know, I, I just said, uh, I just gave a whole story from Serena's perspective, right? And, and I didn't touch on Osaka's perspective. It's never one player blowing a match. It's, it's, it's usually, you know, both. The other the, the one player does some things right. The other player maybe misses some shots. And that's how matches turn or they're, they're, they're determined. It's unfair to say to the other player that A player played bad, therefore B player won. That's not, that's not fair. <clears throat> Excuse me. Osaka thoroughly deserved the win because after the first two games, like you said, she made a ton of mistakes, but then she knew to bring her, her game back to the level. But again, I'll go back to, 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 the, to the specific shots that I just talked about, okay? Serena at 2-1 had 40-15 to go up 3-1. So, you know, Osaka won that game, got, got back to 2-1. She got on the board. Serena was still up a break. And, and on that 40-15 game, Osaka had the clarity to hit a forehand winner. <clears throat> I'm sorry. To hit a forehand winner on a shot from the middle of the court. So she took her chances. Okay, she made it. All right. When Serena had a second chance to go up 3-1 herself, she had a backhand from the middle of the court that normally Serena would, would nail for a winner or go for it. Instead, she played a neutral shot. And two shots later, Osaka gets the same shot from the middle on her forehand, and she hits a winner. There's your second chance to go up 3-1, gone. And when it came, break point came for Osaka to get back to 2-0, to, to uh, Serena had a forehand sitter and missed it into the net. So those are actually, you know, the shots that I just talked about may played an important role in the turnaround. It happened again in the two-all game. Serena went up love 30 on, uh, on, on, on Osaka's serve. And Osaka hits a winner and wins another shot point, comes to 30-all. Serena has a break point chance at 30-40 to still go up 3-2. And Osaka gets another ball to the middle of the court and she hits a backhand winner. So Osaka took chances, did what she's supposed to do within her game plan and within her nature as a player, as opposed to Serena, who did not. And, and, the, and, and at 3-2, game point for Osaka, emblematic of what I'm just talking about. So that's the chance for Osaka to go up 4-2, right, at 15-40 on Serena's serve. And Serena has a shot in the middle of the court on her backhand, and she plays a neutral ball back again. Two shots later, Osaka gets the same shot on her forehand, middle of the court, hits a winner from her forehand, 4-2. And then she never looked back from that point on. So yes, it played a role in the turnaround also. And, and credit to, to Osaka for starting such a bad, uh, such, in such a bad way, the first two games, but getting it back together quickly and cutting down on her errors. So we've talked about the first set and how that changed the dynamics of the match. Uh, you know, the next really big uh, pressure point was uh, the 4-4 game in the second set after, uh, you know, Osaka essentially donated the break back to Serena and so that, you know, Serena temporarily had an opening, but of course, Osaka closed it down as she so often does. She responds to negative events and, and quickly turns the page. What were the outstanding features of that 4-4 game in which Osaka 
uh, responded with a break and then was able to serve out the match one game later. I mean, it's, it's stupefying that she can play her worst game of the match to lose or serve three double faults then to, to, you know, and for the first time since go, you know, since turning it around in the first set at two love, it's just stupefying that she can come up with a game on Serena's serve at four all where she hits three spectacular backhand winners. And th- and they were not even the type I'm talking about. Those were from difficult positions, except the second one was also from the middle, the sharp cross-court backhand winner that she hit. But for her to have the lucidity, you know, the, 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 the mind clarity to be able to put behind her worst game of the match where she lost the advantage so close to the finish line and respond with three backhand winners, that's the mark of a champion, Matt. And that was the you know, the title that you picked for me for my piece uh, on her match against Muguruza, where she showed the same thing, you know, on four, in, in the four most important games of the match, zero errors, multiple winners. And uh, this is why she's so hard to beat. Okay. If this was an hour podcast, we'd, I'd be asking a lot more questions about Osaka and Serena, but uh, because it's a bite-sized podcast, I want to move this along to the other semifinal Jennifer Brady over Carolina Mukova in uh, three very tense sets and, of course, a very dramatic final game. Uh, Mukova having four break points, Brady closing it out on her fifth match point. And uh, I noted on Twitter that, you know, in our 2020 Australian Open preview, not our 2021, but our 2020 preview, you talked a lot about Jen Brady and how, how impressed you were with her how, how you were expecting her to do really well in the future. And well, you know, if it's Mert Ertunga talking about women's tennis, the prediction comes true. That Those are just the rules these days. So, <laughs> you know, what in this Brady win over Mukova most clearly manifested, Mert, the evolution of Jennifer Brady? What, what, what did she display, which, you know, it, we've seen it develop over 2020 and into early 2021, what are the specific qualities that weren't always there, but which she has worked hard to develop that carried her across the finish line? Yeah, you know, I'll just give one quick example from 2017, I believe, or maybe 2018, I'm not sure. But I watched uh, uh, Jen Brady, who's I've been a fan of hers for several years of her game and of her development. So I went out to the outside courts and watched a, a, a first round match, I believe it was first or second round between her and Polona Hersok. And, um, and she lost in three sets. And when it came down to the crunch time in the third set or in the first set that she lost, you know, it, it was her still going for her shots, but not uh, with as much determination as now and Polona Hersok taking advantage. Now, in this match, we see the evolution of Jen Brady from two or three years ago. She starts the match off correctly, with determination, with belief, the, with the confidence that she's gotten from the previous, uh, you know, perf- her performance in the, in the last, say, you know, 16 to 18 months. And she wins the first set. And in all fairness, Muhova did not, Muhova strangely, um, faltered on some important points in that 5-4 game she faltered a little bit which is uncharacteristic of her up to this point uh, in her last year or two and uh, 
and in this tournament, what she as opposed to what she's shown so far. So she faltered, but look, Jan Brady won that first set nonetheless. She did what she was supposed to do. In the second set, Muhova starts playing really well. I mean, she played one of her best sets of the tournament, I would say, maybe the best, and she wins at 6-3. And then the third set begins, and you would think that Jan Brady would start doubting herself or maybe make a change in her game because she lost the second set fair and square. Maybe, you know, think about making a change in her game, but no, you watch her body language and that first and second game of the third set, it is as if she was playing a tiebreaker in the third set. She knows it's an important uh, juncture in the match and she kept going for her shots and she kept pumping herself up more than she's done until that match because she realized the importance of that moment. And Muhova plays one bad serving game right there. It's probably the only bad game, so-called bad game, that Muhova played in the last two sets total. And, and Jen seizes the opportunity. And then to sit there and hold yourself, protect that lead that you got very early in the third set against Muhova, who's again play, uh, playing good tennis the rest of the set with the way she the way she protected them you know coming up with big serves staying aggressive not being afraid to miss and staying within her natural game plan and she carries it all the way up to 5-4 on her two match points at first I thought Muhova played pretty well to save them but then on the first two break points of Muhova I thought she made two backhand errors that were uncharacteristic of her but look both are playing the match of their career, Matt. This is the first time one of them is going to make it to the finals of a major. To expect an impeccable play in, on such a big uh, game would be unfair. Yes, they are going to gag. They are going to make mistakes. Muhova gagged a little bit more than Jen. Brady was the better player if you look at the overall um, uh, scheme of the match. Mentally, she was stronger, and therefore, she deserved the win. Okay, there's a fascinating concept to just uh, for you to illustrate, you know, to just to educate our audience of, of tennis fans, Mert. You talked about how Jen Brady, you know, in that match against Herzog that you watched a few years ago, she went for her shots, but not with determination. Okay, let's unpack that. What does it mean to go for a shot with determination? So some people might say, well, is it just something you have to see to understand it? Or is there like, you know, the footwork, uh, the racket head speed, um, you know, can you like, can you tell the level of intensity with or belief with which a player is hitting a shot? Like what, like the, it's the difference between desperation. I hope it goes in versus knowing this it'll go in or knowing this is my game knowing it's the right play how do you unpack that concept of going for a shot but also with the right amount of determination uh, Matt if you if you've done it before and if you won close matches before you go for you go for the plan knowing that you're doing the right thing even if you miss Okay, and it, it, even if you miss, and when you go in with that frame of mind into a specific shot during a point, meaning, okay, I'm going to nail this ball, I'm going to make it. I might miss it, but I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what is necessary. If you hit it with that frame of mind, the chances of that shot going in is a lot higher 
than if you hit it with, oh gosh, am I going to miss this? Am I going to blow this chance again? And uh, you, you might hit the same shot, but your arms, the freedom that your arm feels as you swing through the ball is much more positive in the former. I've listened, I listened to Stan Wawrinka's podcast in French uh, that he had uh, a year ago with someone. And he said that that was his mindset when he went to play the, when he went out to play the, the, the French Open final against Novak Djokovic. He won already. He already had a, a major in his pocket. He believed in himself. And he said that as he walked out to, this, to, to Chartier Stadium and looked at the crowd, he said, I'm here. I'm going to play. I believe I'm not walking off the court without winning. I'm going to play my winning game plan. If I miss, I miss, but I am going to play my winning game plan. And that's the kind of determination that you go out with and, and, you, and you end up performing better. It's the same thing, Matt. If you get a short ball on the court, a ball that you should hit and approach, okay? If you hit that shot with the intention of coming in behind to the net, you're going to hit it more freely because you know you've decided to come to the net. Therefore, you're going to take your chances on that shot. You better hit a good shot or else you're going to get passed. So you go for it because you decided you're coming in behind it. Okay. Now, if you hit that shot with the intention of backing up to the baseline after the shot, then you're not going to hit as good a shot because you haven't made that decision, that determination to move in behind. So therefore, you're thinking, I'm going to move back to the baseline after this shot. So I don't have to hit that great a shot. So you hold back. I don't want to miss on this shot and you hold back. It's two different frame of minds. And it reflects on the on the end result of the shot. Okay, so just to be clear, then, Mert, when you say determination, you're not talking about intensity. You're talking about clarity of plan. Yes, precisely. You summarized it very well in a few words. What I tried to say in the, in three okay, minutes. Okay, just but that yes, some people, right. yeah, just that some people will say determination. They'll think intensity or you know uh, energy. No, you know, no. It, you it's be- more about. The making a determination, not being determined. Yes, yes. That point of clarity there. Yes, it's you know it's decisiveness. Okay, you made a decision. You made a decision, and you go after it. And you can be intense. There are a lot of players who are super intense from first point to the last point. Arina Sabalenka is a good example. Okay, she's she's super intense. Does that mean that does that translate into making the right decisions? and having clarity on what you're going to do with the shot, not necessarily. Okay. So, uh, so yes, that's the, that's the fine distinction between determination and intensity. Okay. I promise we'll get to Djokovic and, uh, and then the Medvedev Sitsipas, but this, this is just so fascinating, Martin. I want to just give our listeners a chance to benefit from your experience here. Um, You know, we've, we've talked about, Earlier in this tournament, you know, Serena Williams having a plan B, a plan C, you know, that she, her tennis IQ gets underrated. Um, But you've also talked about in this podcast, Jennifer Brady sticking to her plan instead of thinking she had to make adjustments and that decision to stick with her plan in the third set after getting dusted in the second set served her well. And it gave her that determination, that clarity of plan you talked about. So it obviously raises a question for a coach such as yourself, Mert. How do you know when to stick with a plan as the the, the the rock upon which your game is based, giving you stability 
and dependability in a tense moment versus knowing when to go to a plan B. How do you make that determination when you talk to a player and, and you, you try to equip a player with the resources needed to win? How do you instruct a player on that difference between the value of sticking with a plan versus the value of knowing when and how to make adjustments? If, if it's the beginning of the match, it's a different ball game. If it's the middle of the match, it's another thing. For example, let's, let's once again take uh, Brady and uh, Muhova yesterday. Brady won the first set, deserved it. And then in the second set, Muhova ups her game to an incredibly high level. I think she has something like nine or 10 winners to only one unforced error in nine games. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. That doesn't mean Brady is doing something wrong. Okay, that may mean that Muhova is just performing at an incredibly high level. So you can start the third set thinking, you know what, I won the first set. Yes, she, she played an incredible second set, but can she keep that up? Do I have to get out of my comfort zone to turn this match around? What if I get out of my comfort zone and make errors without testing her to see if she can actually remain at that level? Okay, so at that point, I think I, I can't get into Brady's head. Of course, I don't know what she's thinking. I'd love to. I'd love to talk to her and ask her these things. But my guess, my guess is that she felt she's I'm going to start the third set sticking to my plan. And I'm going to see if Muhova can keep coming up with this top notch level of play for another whole set. And sure enough, in the second game, I think it was the second game, Muhova's first serving game. She didn't. She made, she made some errors that were very uncharacteristic in comparison to the previous 10 games. So that she, she got her chance there. She got rewarded for sticking to her strength and testing Muhova to continue that, that, that high-level performance. And she got the break. And once she got the break, from that point forward, it's belief. It's known that you can hit some big serves and keep protecting that lead. And you do not have to waver from your from your determined A game plan. That's outstanding, Mert. Just love the clarity with which you've unpacked these very dense, layered, nuanced concepts. Just wonderful stuff. All right, let's now move to the men. Uh, Novak Djokovic, you know, what, what more is there to be said about the, the mental rock Novak Djokovic is and has become? He just through all the pain, through all the discomfort, he just always achieves this tunnel vision, pure clarity amidst the tumult, amidst the uncertainty. Um, it, what, you know, what new things are there to be said about the coping solutions that he has found amidst the pain? And, and now he says he's you know, playing with very little pain after the Karatsev semifinal, but, but we just, it, it's, it's worth coming back to the Raonic and Zverev matches. What, particular things did you see in those matches which it might have added to Novak Djokovic's legend well it's 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 a it's a repeat of what we already know and and I think actually his how clutch he is in the early games or in mid-set games on points like 30 all 30 40 gets overlooked because he keeps winning the you know he wins tiebreakers he wins big six five deuce points he all of a sudden turns error free, you know, after five all in sets. So we get focused so much on what he does in those clutch points. And we, we put on, on, uh, you know, on, on, um, on a pedestal, 
how clutch he is when it comes crunch time that um, what he does in early games gets overlooked, in my opinion. So, you know, against Karatsev, against Zverev, and, and, uh, and against Raonic, how many times do we see him go down love 30 or a break point and come up with a big serve, you know, an ace or a serve that the, that the opponent can barely get, or get their rackets on and they don't win. I mean, his serve has become a serious weapon and, 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 he, and he gets them in when he needs them. So I, I think it's not just a you know, question of being clutch at important moments of the match. Djokovic is clutch throughout the set. You know, he has, this is not to say he doesn't have bad patches. He has bad patches. It's one thing to have a bad patch of say three or four games where you make a lot of mistakes and you lose them. And it's another thing to constantly come up with, you know, during that pat, bad patch, you may make a lot of mistakes. You may even make a mistake on a 30, 40 point. He may double fault on add out and lose his serve. That's part of that bad patch sequence. But when he's when when he's playing regularly outside of the bad patches, when he's putting out his regular standard, he's constantly coming up with incredible shots, incredible serves, great lunging, uh, high octane returns on 40, 30 points, add in, add out, love 30, 15, 40. And it's just one after the other. So you you reduce to as his opponent, you reduce to hoping that he has a bad patch and you catch good rhythm, you catch fire and maybe you steal a set. And then perhaps you start believing and make a match out of it. So it's, it's, it's a very difficult task to beat Djokovic. I think he's moving fine. I think he's serving fine. So I think physically he's fine. At least in this last match, he was physically fine, moving very well. And he was serving and moving well against Djokovic too. I think his injury might... might um, or his discomfort might be more in longer points where he has to hit a lot of shots and run and hit shots, you know, maybe stretching for balls. He might experience some comfort, but I think the moment Djokovic steps into the court, it's the Djokovic that we know that's, that starts that first point. All right. We're not going to preview the men's final until we know the matchup. You know, it's, it's pointless to speculate before we have the actual matchup. So let's just look at the Medvedev Sitsipas semifinal. Mert, what are your keys to the match? The things that you're most interested in before that semifinal? Yes. The, the, of course, the first, in, the first uh, thing is uh, it can Sitsipas play another five setter if it goes that far? Does he have the physical uh, uh, endurance to, to, to take that? So we're we're going to assume that he's that he's physically okay. You know, we're, let's assume that there's going to be no injuries. Nobody's going to lose the match because they're totally tired. Let's just look at the let's just look at the game plan. I think uh, a high level player like Tsitsipas, Medvedev, or the other players we just mentioned. I think a high level player in ATP should be able to play a five setter, have a day off, and come back and play another tough match if they have to. Okay, I, uh, I think they should be in condition to do that. So looking at, looking at the match, the, the, the reason why this is such a fascinating match is because Tsitsipas obviously thrives on being the aggressor. Whether he's rallying from the baseline like he had to do against Rafa for five sets or whether he gets to come in, get to the net and finish the points off like he's had to do in many other matches. That's the advantage that Tsitsipas has. When he says, or, or when Tsitsipas is aggressive, 
is playing aggressively, it doesn't mean he's staying back and just nailing one shot after another. It also means he's coming to the net on short balls. So he's got an he's got a multi-dimensional attacking game, which is an advantage. Med, in that particular category, he's ahead of Medvedev. He's better than Medvedev in that category. Medvedev, on the other hand, is a is a very um, consistent player with not much top spin on his shots. His balls will not bounce high, which is a disadvantage for um, for Tsitsipas. He likes balls where he can make contact at shoulder level. Tsitsipas does, and Medvedev is not going to give him uh, many of those. He has deceptively fast footwork medvedev does he gets to a lot of balls and he finds angles from difficult positions that you would not believe and he complements that with a big serve so this is a fascinating matchup i i I have trouble calling which way it'll go but i will say this this is a bigger chance for sitsipas to prove that he's at the very top level of that echelon where, where players slowly take the steps to, get up, to, to go up to the top. He's almost at the top of that echelon. And this is his chance to prove that. If he beat Nadal, coming back from two sets down, he beats Medvedev here and goes to the final, now we have to consider Tsitsipas as one of the, top, one of the very top players in tennis, possibly in the same category as team, for example. Okay, Medvedev, on the other hand, Yes, for him, it would be a big moment also, but I think that he's half a step ahead of Tsitsipas in proving that he belongs to the top. So as far as seizing the opportunity goes, I think this is a bigger chance for Tsitsipas. So, uh, but but game-wise, it's a tough call. I I have trouble calling which way the match will go. If physical endurance comes into play, I think Daniil wins. But if it doesn't, it's a 50-50 match. Mert Ertunga, you can follow him on Twitter at Murtovs, the letter T desk, Murtovs T desk. You can follow his writings at MurtovsTennisDesk.com. He's also contributed some pieces to Tennis Accent, uh, TennisAccent.com, our, our website here. Uh, Mert uh, nailed all four women's semifinalists at this tournament, and he has Osaka winning the title. So, uh, for, you know, and, and uh, that, that prediction is looking pretty good, but we will find out once uh, Osaka and Jen Brady play. And, and Mert, we're going to have you on to preview those finals uh, in very short podcasts. So uh, we still have a little more work to do with you during this fortnight, but we thank you for joining us to review the women's semifinals and uh, preview uh, Medvedev Sitsipas. Thanks so much. Thank you, Matt.